Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, bless the name of Yahuwah. We are in the book of Ezekiel. We are going through the scrolls of Ezekiel, 13 of them in number. And I'm excited to say today, we embark on scroll number two. It's been a while, hasn't it? We've quite a lot of um, text to go through in that first scroll. But today, I'm excited to start in Ezekiel, what is called chapter 20 in the Masoretic text. But it's really the second scroll. So Ezekiel was camped by the river Chebar, if you will remember. And he was given the commission to go to the elders of Israel, those that had been dispersed by the Assyrian captivity some years earlier and with the first slew of exiles from Jerusalem. And he was instructed by Yahuwah to go and deliver the visions that he had been given to the rebellious house of Israel. And we just finished the first vision which was contained in a scroll. So now we are now looking at the second vision and Ezekiel is delivering this scroll to the elders of Israel. And the second scroll of the 13 scrolls begins in the Masoretic text, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 1, and it extends through chapter 23, verse 49. The theme of this vision that he now receives, writes down in a scroll and delivers to the elders of Israel, is that Israel is more rebellious, even more rebellious. Judah and Jerusalem are a rebellious, rebellious flock, but there is the possibility of restoration. There is always the possibility of restoration. So as we commence on this second scroll, I'd like to take pause just for a moment. Because if you've been following this ministry for several years, you know that we've shifted from an ultra-messianic ministry to a ministry that teaches the Malkitzedic restoration in these last days. It's been a huge shift. At first, we got a lot of pushback, but now I'm starting to see amazing, amazing fruits all across the world of people leaving religion, whether it be the narrow, the broad road, and now coming into the narrow road. Many that had been heavily entrenched entrenched in paganism, in the traditional um, antinomian churches, coming into the Malkitzedic message of restoration, or, like myself, many that were heavily entrenched in the Messianic or Hebrew roots movement and looking to unregenerate Jews for how to keep the Torah, and now coming in to this amazing message. What I hope to do today is break down this, first, this second scroll, excuse me, in light of the Malkitzedic revelation that so many people are embracing and understanding because we can use this, Ezekiel chapter 20, with the right heart, with the right voice, with the right attitude, as a tool to help, not to beat but to help people 
to understand the amazing, amazing message that's being taught from this ministry that truly leads us to the filth of the man dressed in linen, Yahushua himself, as the high priest. Ezekiel chapter 20, if we spend the time, is a history book for us of what went wrong. And it shows us and points us to Yahushua and his restoration. So I hope that we can see now with new eyes this chapter. This second scroll can truly be a gift to us in these days to aid people to understand the distinction between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. What Paul calls the schoolmaster or the tutor that was added for transgression. I hope that we can do our due diligence today. And I want to use this as an opportunity for blessing and gathering. Because either we're gathering or we're scattering. As we come to Shavuot and we move from the barley harvest, which was first fruits, into the wheat harvest, which is Shavuot, we should be individually taking personal responsibility to move from the carnal, fleshly nature into the spiritual, heavenly man. And the best way to self-evaluate is, are your words and are your actions gathering people or are they scattering Are you bringing in or are you causing division? These are the simple truths. And as we come towards Shavuot, there has been much, much going on. Now is a time to pause because this is a message of gathering. But somebody in the wrong hands could use this to do what? Scatter. And I have seen that more and more in ministry. Join together. Don't join to scatter. We have to work towards the bigger picture because Yahuwah is doing amazing things in this world, truly. And it came to pass in the seventh year, on the 15th day of the month, that certain of the Zachanim, elders of Israel, came to inquire of Yahuwah, and they sat before me. So here's the date of the second vision and second scroll that Ezekiel delivers now. We don't know what month it is, but we do know that it's the 15th day of the month, And we know that it is the seventh year from the first year of the captivity of King Jehoiakim. Does it? (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad you interrupted me. Let me double check.
who knows what translation I have? <laughs> I don't know if that was my Bible software messing up on me, but you are correct. Thank you. All right, let's cut that out and start again. <laughs> Ezekiel, see? Iron sharpens iron. Ezekiel, the second scroll of Ezekiel. It came to pass, correct me please if I'm wrong, in the seventh year, in the fifth month and the tenth day of the month. We're all in agreement there. Okay, you have got to make sure (laughs) that your Bible software is not acting up. That's what that was for me, a copy and paste error. So please excuse me. It came to pass in the seventh year... In the fifth month and on the tenth day of the month that certain elders of Israel came to inquire of Yahuwah and sat before me. So this is the seventh year from the first year of captivity of King Jehoiachin, which was 599 before the common era. Second Kings chapter 24 verse 15. Are we all clear and in agreement with that. Thank goodness you can check me. That hasn't happened before. First for, right? Wow. What translation was that? That was the Nolanite translation. People love that. Well, check on everything else that I quote today, please, especially. Then the word of Yahuwah came to me. That's verse 2, by the way. Ben-Adam, son of man, speak to the Zachanim, the elders of Israel, and say to them, This says the Master Yahuwah, have you come to seek me? As I live, says the Master Yahuwah, I will not be sought by you. Those are some stern words, because prophetically here, many today, many will come. And they will try to seek Yahuwah, but he will what? He will not be sought by them. He will not be sought by them through the avenues in which they have chosen to view him. And this is where the world gets offended. You've got universalism. Well, I choose to approach God, that's what they use, the term God, through this avenue. And because you're saying that that is not acceptable, the only avenue you're saying is that I can only approach God through his son. Well, that's very narrow-minded. No, that's truth. That's truth. And that is very hard for people to understand because they don't take personal responsibility. Sin alienates you from the Father. Oil and water, they do not mix. The Father is pure love. One of his 13 attributes, there's 12 more, but he is love. Pure love. And love cannot exist, coexist with sin in its purity. So, as man, I don't believe like the Dalai Dalai Balama believes, that 
you know, a child is born pure, that's what the Dalai Lama believes, and then inherits sin. No, the Bible teaches that we are born with a fallen, corrupt, sinful nature, and then we learn to do righteousness, and we are regenerated when we come to the knowledge of the Savior. But we have to understand sin alienates us from the Creator. Therefore, we can have no access to the Creator unless we come under the covering of atonement, which has always been that way ever since the beginning. The provision of the Lamb provides access and avenue to the Creator. Without that, you are alienated and left to your own works, which are filthy rags. But the world does not acknowledge sin, thereby it does not acknowledge the Savior. You can only embrace the Savior when you acknowledge sin. That's the key. It's the pride of life that keeps you from the Creator. It isn't Yahushua that keeps you from the Creator. It's the pride and vanity of man. But here we're seeing that Yahweh will not be sought by them through their avenues which they have chosen to view him. You can only what? The only way to view the Father is through the Son. The Son in his glorified position as high priest and your position as submitted priests under the correct administration. Because a priest has to be in the right administration. There were priests that were submitting to Tammuz. And it ended in their exile. The wrong administration leads you to cursing. The right administration leads you to the man dressed in linen. Administration is everything. It's everything. It's paramount. Yahweh will only be sought and viewed through the Son. And that is what we're seeing. The context now of the next 20 verses is paramount for us to understand the huge prophetic ramifications of Yahusha and the book of the covenant reality that has dawned on this age. And like I started out today, I hope that this will be a tool for gathering many people in to understand why we uphold Yahusha as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek and we keep the book of the covenant Torah, the precepts from Genesis forward, but we're not under a Levitical administration. So with that, now the next 20 verses, we're going to see, verse 4, Will you judge them, Ben-Adam, son of man? Will you judge them? Make them to know the abominations of their fathers, and say to them, This says the Master Yahuwah, In the day when I chose Israel and lifted up my hand to the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up my hand to them, saying, I am Yahuwah your Elohim. 
In the day that I lifted up my hand to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Now I'm just checking, am I correct in my translation? All right, so hopefully we're good from now on. Just have to, you make sure you put a hand up or something or just shout at me. You know, I'm used to people shouting at me. Then I said to them, cast away every man the abominations of his eyes and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. And I have to tell you, as a young man, when I came, and I'm not going to overshare. My wife always gets nervous when I start doing this. I'm not going to overshare. But when I was a young man, 24 years old, and I got circumcised of heart and I came to know the Savior, The first thing you got to do, the first thing I had to do was cast away the abominations of my eyes. Literally. Casting away the abominations of my eyes. And then the next thing was the abominations of my ears. I mean, I came to America and there was this thing called MTV. We only had four channels when I was growing up. In fact, there was only three. We had BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV. And then they added Channel Four. And I come over here, and there's like hundreds of channels, and MTV, and LL Cool J. And I remember being like... And my wife's just like, okay, we're getting rid of the television. That was back in 1995, and we've never had television come into our house since then. We've had to, you know rent videos or DVDs before you could stream. And now we can't stream because we're out in the country. But the first thing first is you've got to change what you're looking at and change what you're listening. And then guess what? Everything else will begin to change too. But if you can't do those simple ones, then how can you expect to do the greater things? Look what it says. It says, when you come into the faith... When you're coming in, you have to cast away the abominations of his eyes and defile not yourselves with the idols of Mitzrayim. Uncleanness is the quickest way to hell. Uncleanness in your thoughts, your actions, your words, and your deeds. We live in a despicable, unclean world. Especially nowadays with these personal devices. When I was younger and you wanted to do unclean things, you had to go out and do them. Now, it's even more dangerous for the youth. Because they're on your own devices. So people, an unclean life lives, leads to destruction. We've got to admonish one another to stay pure in our thoughts, in our minds, in our actions, and our deeds. And the first thing is watch what you're looking at. And watch what you're listening to. Truly, truly. Verse 8. But they rebelled against me and they would not listen to me. They did not cast away the abominations of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my anger upon them and accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be defiled before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, I caused them to go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes 
and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live in them. Verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am Yahuwah that sets them apart. The creator, the one true living Elohim, his character is that he is an Elohim of distinctions. And that is what is his identity and the mark of his followers, is that we are distinct, that we are separate from the world. Because if you become common, you are of no use to the Creator. We have to remain distinct. And with that comes much trouble, does it not? Because the world wants you to blend in with it. But Yahweh says, no, come out of the world, come out of Egypt, and be a distinct and separate people, which makes you a target. But we have to, because that's the calling from time immemorial and the Jews were always trying to what be like the nations still today being like the nations causes you to fall into folly and destruction and we see now in verse 14 in verse 13 But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness, and they had their walk not after my statutes, and they despised my judgments, which if a man does them, he shall even live in them. And my Sabbaths, they were greatly defiled. Then I said I would pour out my anger upon them in the wilderness to consume them. Verse 14. But I did act for my name's sake, that it should not be defiled before the Gentiles in whose sight I brought them out. Yet also I lifted up my hand to them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, the land flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory and the beauty of all lands, because they despised my judgments, and they did not have their walk after my statutes, but they defiled my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my my eye spared them from destroying them, neither did I make an end of them in the wilderness." But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not have your walk in my statutes or of your fathers. Do not have your walk in the statutes of your fathers. Neither observe their rulings, nor defile yourselves with your father's idols. I am Yahweh your Elohim. Have your walk in my ways, in my statutes and my judgments, and do them. And set apart my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh your Elohim. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me, and they had not their walk in my statutes, neither they kept my judgments to do them, which if a man does, he shall live by them, and live even in them. They defiled my Sabbaths. Then, then I said, I would pour out my anger upon them. 
to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. So this is the history in context. Ezekiel now in this second vision. He goes to the elders of Israel that have been exiled since the Assyrian captivity. And then many more have joined them from the first wave of exiles from Jerusalem. And they're here by the river Chebar in Babylon. And he's giving them this second vision now of your history. The reason that you're in the predicament that you're in is the same reason from time immemorial. You didn't get rid of the idols of your eyes, your ears, and your hearts. And you walked in the ways of your fathers. And you did not listen to me and follow my statutes and my judgments. Remember, I called you as a people, nation, out of Egypt, and I gave you the covenant. But you chose to defile yourself, and then I was going to destroy you and absolutely annihilate you. But for my great name's sake, I didn't. I instituted the book of the law, after the golden calf breach, and I placed you under a schoolmaster and tutors. That if you would live and you would obey that, you would be blessed. But if not, then you would be cursed. And if you look, exile and curse is a synonymous word in the Bible. When you're exiled, you're under the curse. But you couldn't obey my book of the law, so you ended up worshipping the pagan idols of Tammuz, and now you've placed yourself under a curse and you're back in exile. It's as if you're back in Egypt, except worse, the Egyptians abandoned you to Nebuchadnezzar and now you're here and your king has been blinded and you're slaves to the Babylonians. This is all because you didn't even follow my statutes and my laws contained in the book of the law, which could be a blessing if you obeyed them or a curse if you didn't. And this is the summation of Israel's history that Ezekiel has been given this vision to now go and proclaim to them. But look at verse 22. Nevertheless... I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake that it should not be defiled in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I brought them out. I lifted up my hand to them also in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes and had defiled my Sabbaths, and their eyes were seeking after their father's idols. I want to give you a biblical reality check. Because especially coming from the Hebrew roots movement and the messianic movement, there's all kinds of ideas especially with the nation state of Israel and the Levitical priesthood and whatnot. But the biblical reality check is this. Yahuwah did not give Israel sacrifices when they left Egypt. That wasn't from him. 
Yahweh did not give Israel animal sacrifices when they left Egypt. That's a biblical reality that many seem to miss. The Egyptians were well into animal sacrifice. The Egyptians hated those that lived in Goshen because they were into animal husbandry. They were shepherds. And shepherds were looked down on by the Egyptians because the Egyptians were into animal sacrifice. Where did Israel learn about animal sacrifice? They learnt about it from the Egyptians that did it to the host of heaven. To all of the Egyptian idols they sacrificed. Because people seem to think that Yahweh gave Israel animal sacrifices. They learnt pagan sacrifice in Egypt. Yahweh didn't want animal sacrifice. He didn't require it. Yahweh ordained Moses as the prophet. He ordained Moses as the prophet and he gave Moses as that very prophet the authority to enact. Listen, he gave Moshe as the prophet the authority to enact statutes and laws that related to the local community as he saw fit. We do that today. We've got the federal government. They make the law. But states can enact their own laws that the federal government has got nothing to do. What they see fit for their state, they can then enact those laws. Then the municipalities... They then can enact laws and ordinances based upon what they see fit for their municipality. But it's got nothing to do with the state or the federal. There's this chain that we can see in the enactment of law. This is exactly what we see in the Bible. Yahuwah has his perfect will. His divine perfect will. But he ordained Moses as a prophet and a judge. And as a prophet and a judge, he gave Moses the legal right to enact laws as he saw fit for the welfare of the community. That was Yahuwah's permissive will. Not his perfect will. He entrusts... We don't give Moses enough credit. And we think that if it's in the Bible, that it's got to be Yahuwah's perfect will. No. No, not at all. Moses enacted many laws as the prophet for the welfare of the community. Case in point, Deuteronomy 24... Yahuwah's perfect will is that man would never divorce. And Yahushua taught on it. But Moses could see what was going on with the community. So he enacted a law decree that permitted divorce. 
Deuteronomy 24. It was a law decree that then later judges, in the book of Judges and so forth and on, could then rule based upon that law. But what happens, this is the amazing crux of the Malkitzedic message, what happens when the prophet comes along later? Yahusha is the prophet that is spoken of. He then has the legal right to annul, or be careful because people are going to jump the gun here. He has the legal right to annul any previous laws that were enacted by prior judges and prophets. Never annulling the divine word of Yahweh, his perfect will, heaven forbid. No, but as the prophet spoken of in the Torah, he has the legal right to overrule prior rulings and proceedings. He has the legal right to judge and rule properly. This is the Malkitzedic revelation. He will not strike down the word of Yahweh, heaven forbid. That is the perfect will. But he has the legal right to overrule what Moses did as far as addition decrees. That's not to get rid of the law of Moses. This is the key point that we must understand. And many people, in a lack of maturity, no offense, can jump the gun with this. So we have to be very, very mature And do our due diligence. Not to just react off what I'm saying. Because you could say, oh, Matthew's doing away with the Torah. Oh, heaven forbid. I am trying to give us the big picture of the difference between Yahuwah's perfect will, his permissive will, and the authority that he gave Moses as the prophet the right to enact laws and decrees that he saw fit for the community. Because Ezekiel understands this and you and I will now understand it too. Because the perfect example is Deuteronomy chapter 24, where in Moshe, Moses enacts the ruling as a judge, and from thenceforth on, later judges made rulings based upon that enacted decree. Did they not? Right. It wasn't in the beginning. Yahushua tells us that, the prophet, when he comes along. Later... When Yahushua, the prophet, like unto Moshe comes, he has the legal authority to reverse a previous enactment decree by any prior judges. This is not, listen, this is not an annulling or reversal of the commandments of Yahuwah. I stated that very clearly. It is the legal right to rule righteously over previous enactments. You see, we don't give Moses enough credit in the enactment of laws and decrees. We think it all came from Yahuwah. No, his perfect will, but he gave Moses the right to enact laws and decrees that were not his perfect will. They were consequences of what was going on with a rebellious Israel. And when the Messiah comes, he has the legal right to bring us back into the perfect will of the Father once he's done the work of redemption. And therefore, he will rule over previous enactments. 
This is a concept that people seem to struggle with. But as we look more in the text, it becomes very clear specifically when we're dealing with animal sacrifice. Because Yahuwah did not institute animal sacrifice when they came out of Egypt. He didn't want that. He didn't ask for it. It is not him that required these things. Moses enacted it for a specific purpose. This is, we will find out. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 22, because some of you are thinking that I've lost my marbles. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. There it is. Yahuwah did not, very clearly, very succinctly, Yahuwah did not speak to your fathers, and he didn't command them in the day that he brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offering and sacrifices. Well, well, what's going on? Moses knew what the Israelites were up to. He knew that in Egypt they had learnt pagan animal sacrifice. And he knew that the Egyptians were doing it to all kinds of gross deities. And he knew that the children of Israel had a tendency towards that. So he enacted a decree, a law, allowing, permitting them to sacrifice animals, but instead of them doing it to the Egyptian gods, they would learn to do it unto Yahuwah. Until the prophet, like unto Moshe, came along and had the legal right to overrule that permissive decree, which is not an annulling of the perfect law of Yahuwah, it is an overruling of Moses. Now, history, there's a book uh, from the early couple of first, century, first or second centuries called the Clementine Homilies. I want to read to you from that because this explains what I'm talking about. It's very, very interesting. Quote, this is the Clementine Homilies. And even Moses after coming down from Mount Sinai and seeing the corruption perceived like a good and faithful master of the house, that it was impossible for the people easily to remove and annul the entire passion for affections of idol worship, which had prolonged time made great as having been accumulated by them from a wicked education among the Egyptians. They'd learned this from the Egyptians. Wherefore, he permitted them to sacrifice, but he told them to do so in the name of Yahuwah in order that it would be possible for half of the passion to be cut off and annulled. What was half the passion? You know, the passion that they would do it to idols. It was permitted so that half of the passion, the bit about worshipping idols, would be cut off and annulled. And then regarding the correction of the other half, what's the other half? 
Well, the actual animal sacrifice themselves, right? That's the other half. Then, regarding the correction of the other half, it would happen at another time by the hand of another as appropriate in providence. Who's the other? Yahusha. With this, he said, Yahweh your Elohim shall raise up for you a prophet like unto me. You shall hear him in everything, and whosoever will not assent to him will surely die. So, history tells us through the Clementine homilies, in line with what I just read you from Jeremiah 7 verse 22, that Moses enacted a law decree based upon the behavior of Israel when he came down from the mountain. That they were sacrificing to idols. So he said, I will institute the sacrifice to get rid of the first half, to idols and then later the prophet will come along and he will annul the second half sacrifices themselves and restore you to the full glory of the covenant which you have just broken by your worship of Ra the sun god with the golden calf this is history now lining up with scripture and this is what it says again in the sec- in, in, in the um, Clementine literature Beware of the second legislation. The bondage of the second legislation. Which was after the law were given to those who in the law and in the second legislation committed many sins in the wilderness. For the first laws which Yahweh Elohim spoke before the people had made the calf and before the people had served the idols. But after they served idols, he just justly laid upon them the bonds as they were worthy. The Savior will come and set us loose from the bonds of the second legislation. For he set loose from those bonds and thus called those who believe in him and said, Come unto me, all you who toil and are laden with heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do thou therefore... Without the weight of these burdens, read the royal simple law, which is in accord with the gospel and the kings. So history here through this literature is showing us that Moses allowed them to do animal sacrifice because it was something that they had learned in Egypt. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 7 verse 22 tells us that no, Yahweh never wanted animal sacrifice. He didn't even command it. Moses instituted that law decree because it was something that they had picked up in Egypt. And to get rid of the first half idol worship he would teach them and they would sacrifice unto Yahuwah and later a prophet would come along and he would annul the second decree and he would return them back to the royal royal covenant the perfect will of Yahuwah does that make sense any questions yes the Clementine homilies You'd have to check in. I think the, the first, first few centuries, quite some, quite some time back in the annals of history. But anyway, this is amazing stuff in line with the text. Because now look, going back to our text of Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 25. 
Look what Ezekiel says. Therefore, the context of this is the whole history of Israel coming out of Egypt. Therefore, therefore what? Well, because of the way they've acted, they've defiled my Sabbaths, they haven't walked in my statutes or my judgments, they've given in to the idols of their fathers. Therefore, I gave them also statutes that were not good and judgments by which they should not live. So something happened in the history of Israel where they did something really bad. Therefore, Yahweh gave them a second law or a second legislation which was not good by which they should not live. Look at verse 24. Because they had not executed my, what does it say? My judgments. What judgments? They were a kingdom of priests and a holy nation at the mountain given judgments. Exodus 21 through Exodus 23. Because they had not executed in context my Malkitzedic judgments but had despised my Malkitzedic statutes, and they had polluted my Malkitzedic Sabbaths, all of this was given under the Malkitzedic administration of the Book of the Covenant, Exodus 19.4 to Exodus 24.11. And they had defiled it all because their eyes were after their father's idols. So the golden calf where Yahweh was going to wipe Israel out and make a new nation of priests out of Moses, but he relented for his great name's sake. So then, when? Right then, therefore, I gave them also statutes that were not good and judgments by which they should not live. He instituted the book of the law the statutes that were not good by which they should not live because of the golden calf breach, because they had forsaken his Malkitzadic statutes and judgments. This is the context of Ezekiel chapter 20. It makes so much sense contextually when we realize that both the Malkitzadic and the Levitical, they're both Torah. For sure. But the Malkitzedic is the perfect will of Yahweh. And the Levitical was the permissive law enactment because of the golden calf breach. It was added for transgressions until the master would come and restore you back to the perfect will of Yahweh. And we've got to be careful not to fall into the trap of eisegesis where we're starting to put our own thoughts into the text. Let's just extract from the text and we'll see that Ezekiel is teaching the people like all the other prophets before that wayward Israel is to turn back at this point in history to the book of the law. Because the book of the law was there to guard them until the prophet, like unto Moshe, would come 
and give them more direction. It was to be a schoolmaster and tutor until the time of reformation when the seed would come, Galatians tells us. Ezekiel is telling Israel, you need to repent and turn back to the book of the law where you will be tutored more until the Savior comes because they were still under the administration of the book of the law as they were encamped by the river Chebar. He's not teaching against keeping the book of the law. No. The reason that they're in exile is because they're under the curse of the book of the law. Exile is a curse. Remember, the book of the law could be a blessing if you lived within its parameters, but it also has all of the curses, plural, which is exile. And they're now receiving the hammer of the curses, full force of the book of the law. And Ezekiel's saying, hey, if you return back under the book of the law and the administration that Moses instituted, you'll be blessed. But they wouldn't hear it. Ezekiel is simply recounting history here. That after their rebellion that culminated at the golden calf, therefore, look at verse 25, I gave Also, I gave them up to statutes, that's the book of the law, that was not good, and judgments by which they could not live. Could they live under those judgments? No. They couldn't even obey the book of the law. They were such a rebellious and stiff-necked people. Therefore, I also... It seems pretty clear to me in the context of the narrative from verse 1 all the way through here to verse 25 that Yahweh gave them up to Levitical statutes that were not good after the book of the covenant breach. That's simply it. The alternative to the imposed book of the law, was what? Yahweh committing genocide on Israel. That was the alternative. Oh, well, that's not good. So the better alternative is that they would come under the schoolmaster, the book of the law, which is both a blessing. How's it a blessing? You're not dead. Ah, That's a blessing. And it can also be a curse. If you don't obey it, you'll go into exile. And they're at that point. That's why Ezekiel is recounting because they are actually at the worst point of the book of the law. They're under all of its curses. Their kings have been blinded. Their kings have died in prison. And now they're starving in famine, which is a curse of the book of the law. You read it. By the river Chebar. That's why he's saying, repent and come back to the prophets which you forsook and come under the schoolmaster, and find the blessing of life until the great prophet will come and give you more information of reconciliation and restoration to Yahuwah. So this is an amazing, amazing narrative because as we see, they are not dead. Not dead yet, but they are in exile and they now have to live with multiple curses And a few blessings depending upon their works, right? Their works were evil and therefore they ended up in exile in Babylon, which was the biggest curse of all. And some can see that this truly is 
a Malkitzedic clarity when you look at verses 24 and verses 25. Therefore, because of the golden calf breach, something distinctly happened. This is amazing. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, when all these things have come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among the nations where the Yahweh your Elohim has driven you. This is when Ezekiel was trying to get them to call it to their mind because they have now fulfilled Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 1. And in fact, Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 21 says this, And Yahweh shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant. Now, the book of the law contains all of the curses, plural. There are no curses, plural, in the book of the covenant. There's only one limited family curse that is if you do not honor your father and mother, then you will have that curse. But there are no plural curses in the book of the covenant. So this must be talking about the book of the law. So we know that there is this distinction in the scriptures here between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. This, to me, is a huge testimony. Because this is something to point to people if they're trying to find and understand the distinction between the book of the covenant, Yahweh's perfect will, and the book of the law, Yahweh's permissive will. And it's really really concise when we look at this division between the two books of Torah. Now look at verse 26. And I defiled them in their own gifts in that they caused to pass through the fire all the firstborn, that I might stun them, so that they might know that I am Yahuwah. You see, Israel, instead of taking the blessing where Yahuwah sanctified the firstborn, Israel then started to offer the firstborn as a sacrifice. That's how defiled they were, because that's what the Egyptians were doing as far with their pagan deities. So the firstborn was supposed to be a blessing, But they took the firstborn and turned it into curses and curses upon them. Verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, This says the master Yahweh, Yet in your fathers have blasphemed me, in that they have committed a trespass against me. For when I have brought them into the land, for which I lifted up my hand to give to them, Then they saw every high hill and all the thick trees, and they offered their sacrifices there. And there they presented the provocation of their offering. Therefore also they made their sweet fragrances and poured out their drink offerings. So they've resorted back to what? What they were doing in Egypt. So you can see that this animal sacrifice which turned into human sacrifice, has been the very downfall of Israel from the beginning. So, when we talk to people and try to communicate our faith today, understanding the division between the book of the covenant Torah and the book of the law, which was added for transgressions, is huge. 
the whole of Galatians comes into light when you understand that those law verses that seem to be a trouble in the New Testament, there is no contradiction. It's what Yahushua and Paul are talking about, that the law that was added was the book of the law, and that when the Messiah came and he did the work of redemption, he actually brought you back into the fullness of the book of the covenant and therefore there is no book of the law that is in covenant today because they broke it therefore now we return to the former glory which is the royal torah which is what exactly james talks about in conclusion i just want to encourage people because there are, are so many people that are truly waking up to the clarity, the clarity of this message. And when we can communicate it without judgment, without a bunch of emotion, but being able to communicate it clearly through the Scripture, Ezekiel 20, I think, is going to be a great help, especially verses 24 and 25, that therefore I gave them statutes that were not good, and pinpointing that to the golden calf breach is amazing. I get letters all the time from people from all over the world on how their lives have been changed simply by this message. People that literally were thinking about doing bad things to themselves because they were feeling hopeless and despondent and they were going into Judaism. People that have turned back from the brink and embrace their first love. I want to read to you in conclusion a letter that really touched me because this really epitomizes and encapsulates everything that I've said today. We want to thank you for this is the most important revelation I have ever had. The Malkitzedic priesthood, the higher calling. I realize that I have spent so much time debating and arguing. And I have never even realized that the Jews had the commands and it wasn't enough because they didn't transform into the new them. And so Yahuwah had put them under a schoolmaster to teach them what the law was supposed to do. A law which required death on a daily basis just to keep them from being destroyed. And now, here we are, going to the very people who don't even have the Ruach, the Spirit, or the revelation of truth, asking them to tell us how to keep the law and have the commands written on our heart. I admit, it's now brought up some of the smaller issues that I don't even know how to answer. I feel like I'm stumbling around a little right now. But at least I know I can go directly to the master and search for answers and trust his voice to lead me in the truth if I stay willing to follow the truth and do things in the manner of which he has prescribed. But I admit, I am very human and often like Paul, I do the things that I wish I did not do and I say the things I wish I did not say. I used to have about 2,000 Facebook followers, mostly believers in Yahuwah, that I communicated with. I cut that down to 1,300 people 
And it may get very small from now on. It depends. I am trying to zone out the noise, but I mention it because it may have made it to your congregation that I was attacked on Facebook over sharing something I learned from your teachings. I tried to email you, a popular sacred name teacher tagged me in a blog, and she said and made about you this blog to respond to one of my posts, I believe. I am sure you know who she is, and she is very set on attacking your ministry. And I truly feel in my gut it's because of the Malkitzedic priesthood. The Malkitzedic priesthood being the jewel of all jewels. I had only even heard a couple of your videos at this point, And I was brand new to this concept of scripture. I have been a truth seeker for about a decade. That's sad, huh? Got so much other stuff, but I just didn't get that the master is what it's all about. But anyway, I am sorry I wasn't experienced enough to defend you. I wasn't experienced enough to stand up for you or even what I believe. Because I didn't know how to come against her. But others saw and they came on your behalf and on behalf of the truth. I defriended her and untagged myself, and it grieves me to even bring drama to your doorstep when you really have your hand to the plow. But I want you to know that this seed is falling on much good soil. And I pray our family can connect with your ministry and that we can get to know and fellowship with you. My husband, myself, and my dear friend are especially touched by this ministry. And we want to say thank you. People's lives are being changed because of the jewel of jewels. And it leads to the feet of the Savior. And we're a part of that. This chapter really encapsulates the law division. And when we can learn not to argue, not to be contentious, not to scatter, but to lay our flesh down, to lay our own selfish desires down and gather. Because Yahweh will do it with or without you. But you have an opportunity to be a part of something great. And we're seeing it. Commit to set your hand to the plow with me. Because this is going forth with or without you. With or without me. But if we're good stewards of this message... We can do a worthy, worthy work for the master. And it will always lead to him. And that is what is safe. That is what is pure. And that is what is righteous. So don't be distracted. Don't get down. Because people's lives are being changed. And at the end of the day, there is the fruit. There is the fruit They were lost and they became found. 
They were going down a road that led to destruction and they turned because they saw, they heard, they tasted and they see. This is the narrow road. The Malkitzedic message is the jewel of jewels because it leads to the high priest who is dressed within the very garments of righteousness. And that truly is an admonition and an encouragement for us all. Ezekiel encapsulates the division of law. He shows the elders of Israel why they're in the predicament that they're in. And he says, repent, repent, and you can have restoration too. That's the days that we're living in. But we're living in better days than Ezekiel because the true prophet has come and he has brought us into the perfect will of Yahweh, book of the covenant Torah, that you are no longer under a Levitical administration, but you are a kingdom of priests, a royal house. And you're a diadem in the crown of the master if you do his will, which is gathering. Gathering. So be blessed. Let's jump back in next week. And I hope that you have a blessed week and that you go forth and gather as you go out there in the nations. Amen? Amen.